There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the, of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting that this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But... Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my room for joy. 
Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and the relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham." to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give the light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn." Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass 
which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which they were told by the shepherd. But Mary, she kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the realities of this truth, for the truth of this Christmas message, for the power of this message in our life that we know is unto salvation. Thank you for baby Jesus and the beginning of the new covenant. Emmanuel, God with us. We are so thankful. We are so grateful and so appreciative this morning of the beginning of the new covenant and that we are people who have been redeemed and restored by this gospel message. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can you give that, those folks a round of applause for their reading this morning? You know, I, um, I was, it's like tradition to have those first two chapters of Luke read. I know many of us uh, grew up with that. And I thought, you know, I'm preaching and I don't want you to hear me read all of those chapters and preach as well. And so I was like, man, we got to bring some life to this, right? We've got to bring a little bit of color and feel to this. So I thought, man, let's, let's bring some people on stage to read it. So I hope that... Um, I hope that you enjoyed that. So, hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas to everyone joining with us online. Thank you for being a part of this service. My name's Marvin Slayton, and I'm one of the elders here at SOMA, and it's always a privilege. It's just a privilege to be with you. And to have the opportunity to preach, I always enjoy sharing God's word and his truth. And so let's get into that this morning. I've titled the message this morning, The Power of Christmas. The Power of Christmas. I love reading these two chapters in the book of Luke because it's a great reminder that the gospel is miraculous that the gospel is miraculous, the God we serve is indeed supernatural, and through the work of the cross, you, me, all of us, humanity, we are able to join in to this new covenant story. Man, isn't that good? Oh, it's so, so good. Thank you, Lord for your miraculous power in our life. And that's where I want to start this morning with this. This gospel is supernatural. This gospel is supernatural. These two chapters are ushering in the very genesis of the new covenant. And what we see is miracle after miracle taking place to establish the new covenant in the perfection of the Lord's plan. Before we go any further, when we talk about words like miraculous and supernatural, a lot of different things can come into our mind that is associated with those words. So I think it's important that we pause and bring definition to supernatural. So in defining supernatural, it's relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. It can also mean departing from what is usual or normal, especially so as to appear to transcend the laws of nature. 
I think what we can clearly see from this reading today that Christ's entry to this earth definitely transcended the laws of nature. Amen? It is indeed supernatural. I want to show you a picture on the screen that may be just the second most supernatural thing in our life to Christ coming, Emmanuel, and then Christ dying on the cross. So if you would, put up the picture on the screen. And so what you'll see in this picture is, this is a flight trajectory, okay, from the United States to Israel, okay? And the uh, pinpoints there in the United States is probably Kansas City, I'm guessing, and uh, you're, you're not actually going to find a direct flight from Kansas City to Tel Aviv, so you don't want to try that. Um, but it's just a general marking in the middle of the United States over to Israel. And you can read this slide of the thousands of miles of this flight pattern, the thousands of miles of distance in between where the genesis of this gospel started, where, where Christ was born in the manger in Israel in between us. Americans, most of us were born here and obviously live here now or somewhere close by. We were born somewhere close by. And so we see this great distance. And not only is it a great distance, but we see in between this great distance many different countries, which represent many different people, many different languages. It also represents many different types of terrain and the vastness of those terrains. And we see different uh, bodies of water, both small and large there, and then this great divide known as the Atlantic Ocean. Thousands of miles of distance. This gospel message has been preserved and taken to the nations of the earth for 2,000 plus years. It's outlasted, you guys listen to this, it's outlasted and triumphed over evil dictators, pagan empires, communism, fascism, totalitarianism, and every form of oppressive government. The gospel has traversed deserts. It's braved the high seas. It's stood the test of time and man and found its way into your heart and life. Folks, it is miraculous. This gospel message is supernatural. And here we are to the east or to the west of Israel, thousands of miles. And it's not just to us, but it's thousands of miles to the north, thousands of miles to the south, thousands of miles to the west that this gospel has traveled and been preserved and we've seen it progress. Miracle after miracle, angelic visitation after angelic visitation is the very foundation that created the backdrop of ushering in Christ to the scene. I think we look at this in Luke 1 and 2 and, and we can skim over it because, man, it's just like it's the Bible, right? But when you look at the scene and you look at Gabriel being on the scene and him bringing the message, these angelic visitations to this start of the gospel, and then Elizabeth being barren and all of a sudden able to be with child, and then obviously the Holy Spirit overshadowing and planting the seed of Christ inside of her. And so we clearly see that Christ is both fully God and fully man. This whole scene speaks of the wonder, the miracle, the supernatural of this gospel that we serve and that we live by. This morning, I want to drill down a little bit in this scene and focus on just a few scriptures. And it's in Luke Chapter 1, verse 35, and it says this, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, everybody say Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power, everybody say power, and let's say it again with a little bit more of the umph, you know, power of the highest will overshadow you. 
Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. I want to draw our attention to that word we just read there of power. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. Maybe some or most of you have heard that. But it's also the the same word that we find in Acts 1.8. When Jesus is telling his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Folks, everyone look at me this morning. We in this room, we are the ends of the earth. We're not in Jerusalem, Judea or Samaria. We are the ends of this earth. The gospel has progressed and it has prevailed to the ends of the earth. We are a part of that prophecy of the Lord. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So here we are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. And he's saying, yeah, but I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send Holy Spirit to you. And it's not going to be Emmanuel who's going to be with you. It's going to be Holy Spirit inside of you. Holy Spirit inside of you, I'm going to take it a further step and I'm going to send you the helper. And this helper, Holy Spirit, is going to empower you. And when he empowers you, the scriptures tell us nothing will be impossible. Amen. Nothing will be impossible. Now the word dunamis It has a few different definitions, but there's a couple that I like. It means power for performing miracles, but it also means moral power and excellence of soul. Oh, isn't that good? Moral power and excellence of soul. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let me say it to us this way. Nothing is impossible in your life if you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So with that kind of statement, I want to take a step back and I want us all to take inventory this morning to assess our own personal life, to look at ourselves and ask ourselves a few different questions. I want to ask you this to start. Are you someone who has surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you someone who surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit? And I think there's a few questions we can ask so that we can know if we are someone who is. The first one is this. Do you heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do you heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you, speaking to you, leading you, counseling, comforting, guiding you? Do you heed his convictions for his yes and his no? Because he gives us yes and he gives us no. And do you heed the conviction where his yes to you is yes and his no to you is no? Secondly, I would ask you this. Do you submit to godly counsel and teaching. The scripture and teaching you hear brought from this stage, the teaching that maybe you hear from podcasts or or other preachers or sermons that you listen to, counsel from people who are around you, maybe mentors or good friends who you trust and believe in, who are there to help you. Do you submit to that godly counsel and teaching or do you find yourself more often than not, doing what you want to do in spite of that teaching and counseling. Doing what you want to do regardless of what the unction of the Holy Spirit is, regardless of what that teaching or that counseling was. 
And the third thing to ask yourself to know, you know, am I really surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life is this. Do you pursue the fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit that we find in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 12? Are you someone who makes it a priority, who goes after, who longs for, who runs for fruits of the Spirit, where it's important to you to make those a part of your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, Do you pursue those things? Are you on that path? And then with the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, we find in 1 Corinthians 12, there's nine of them. But are you someone who pursues the gift of faith or the gift of tongues or the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy? Are these things important to you? They're great questions to ask yourself to take inventory to see, man, am I really someone who surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, here we are in this Christmas season, and I strongly feel that the Holy Spirit always wants to give us gifts. Every day, all the time, he wants to give us gifts. But I think especially in this Christmas season, and as I was preparing this message and I was praying for it and just talking with the Lord, I really felt that there were two specific gifts that the Holy Spirit wanted to give to us. And, and I'm not talking about gifts like the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm talking about gifts like Christmas gifts, okay? Gifts for you in this season, in this time, in this space, for us, for this community at Soma Church, The first gift that, as I was praying and the Lord was leading me, that I felt that Holy Spirit wanted to give to us is the gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness, such a strong word, such a powerful word. And I'm not talking about forgiveness this morning in the sense of your forgiveness from the Lord because of the life and work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection, I'm not talking about forgiveness in that manner. I'm talking about forgiveness as a gift for us to be able to forgive others. Forgiveness to be able to forgive others. When you look at forgiveness, it's such a personal topic, so much emotion and history is tied into it. There's such a connection to it in our life, obviously with the Lord and and what he's done for us, but also in family, in friends. It's a word that literally is always in the forefront of our mind. We're always processing forgiveness in some way, in some fashion. It's always there. It's one of those top-tier words as a believer that we have to look into, define, walk out, believe in. And when you look further at forgiveness and at the definition, it really comes from two Greek words. The first is cherzomai, from the root word charis, which means grace. Grace. The second is aphiemi, which means to send away or let go. In other words, forgiveness is the grace to send away in the grace to let go. The grace to let it go, to send it away. I want to go a little further with this topic of forgiveness. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles or your device to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 21. This is a very uh, familiar to probably most of you uh, scriptures, very familiar parable, and uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture brings great clarity great definition to this topic that we're discussing here of this gift 
of forgiveness, of being able to walk in grace to others to let go, grace to send away. So I'm gonna pick up reading in verse 21 in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, a quick pause there. Some of you, maybe many of you know this, Jewish custom and law at that time was forgiveness of three times, okay? So Peter, and Peter often gets a bad rap in in scriptures for various uh, stunts that he pulls. He goes even more than double. He says, what about even seven times, okay? Even seven times. This was more than double than the customs that they were used to living in. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And he goes into a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. Everybody say king. Say it a little bit more. King. All right. It's like a certain king. It's important to know that we're talking about a king here. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Quick pause here. Scholars, commentators, they believe the modern value of this is anywhere between 12 million to 1 billion USD dollars, okay? A significant amount of money. But once again, we're talking about a king, okay? A very significant amount of money. The figure clearly represents an unpayable debt, okay? This was an unpayable debt, all right? But as he, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Pay attention to the wording here. Released him and forgave him the debt, the grace to send away the grace to let go. He released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out, and you guys pay attention, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a much significant, uh, significantly less amount than what I told you before. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat. He took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. And he would not. but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This parable, I think, is a parable that doesn't need a lot of interpretation. I think there's a lot of clarity, pointedness. There's clear directive there in this parable. And so here we are, we find ourselves in this Christmas season, which is this beautiful season of celebration. But what happens in this Christmas season, I don't know about you, but we find ourselves around people called family. We, we find ourselves around 
family that maybe we're not around consistently. Or we find ourselves at places of parties or with friends or with coworkers in different places than we're normally used to seeing them. And we come around different people. And when we're around different people, it brings up things inside of us. Because people do wonderful, beautiful, great things to people. But people also do terrible, terrible, harmful, disgusting things to people. It's just a reality of humanity. And we in this room, we are people. And we have all done beautiful and great things to people. And we have all done terrible and damaging things to people. And so here we are. And I feel so strongly that the Holy Spirit is wanting to just download this gift of forgiveness inside of us so that we can extend it. We can extend it to those who've hurt us. To those who've neglected us, abandoned us, abused us. And whatever dark term you want to insert there, however light the offense may be, however heavy the offense may be, the Holy Spirit wants to give us a gift to empower us to forgive. To forgive. And when we look at forgiveness, and we look at the depth of it, and we look at the emotion of it, and we look at the challenge of it, and we ask ourselves, because I do the same thing for, for myself, we look inside and we're like, how could I ever cross that bridge? How could I ever go there emotionally, relationally, physically? How could I ever do that? Marvin, you do not understand. You don't understand what has been done to me, what's been said to me. All oh, the abandonment and the abuse. You're right. I may not understand everything that's been done to you in a damaging way. But there is one who does, right? There is one who does. There is one who understands it. And he understands it better than you understand it. And he knows all facets of it. And he's been all around it. And he said, you know what? I know you were going to be at this place. And I'm so sorry that you're at this place. I'm so sorry that you're at this place. But I understand what it means to forgive someone. I understand what it means to go to the cross and pay the penalty of sin. I understand what it means to be naked, nailed to a cross, bleeding before my own family and friends. I understand betrayal. I understand the abuse and neglect and the challenges of life. I understand it all. And I understand that you are one. You are one. We all are one who put him on that cross and I went to that cross anyway. I went to that place of forgiveness anyway because I love you. Because I love you and because I understand the power of forgiveness and what it releases in your life. And if I do it for you, I command you, I encourage you, I challenge you, that it would be righteousness that you do it for others. And to not do it for others would be unrighteousness or disobedience. It's not a suggestion. It's not an encouragement. But the scripture is communicating to us, I will meet you in your place of pain and hurt I will meet you in your place of darkness and I will grab your hand and take you down the path of forgiveness because I know everything 
about the subject. I know everything about the subject. Man, I feel it so strongly, folks. Everyone online who's watching this, I feel it so strongly that the Lord wants to take us to cross this bridge of forgiveness, of friends, of family members, maybe even inside of marriage. And I felt really even prophetically um, this morning that sometimes we can look at at, uh, forgiveness and we think of maybe uh, the deepest, darkest sins done to us. But I'm talking about even the small things, the small realms of forgiveness that we harbor. And we know it's like, man, I need to step out and forgive that person. I need to take a step in forgiveness. It's obedience for me to do that. Even in the small areas of our relationship. And in closing here, there's a second gift that I feel that the Lord wants to gift to us in this Christmas season, and that is the gift of freedom. The gift of freedom. Galatians 5.1 tells us, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to a yoke of slavery. Forgiveness and freedom. So we know by the life and work of Jesus Christ that that we've been set free from death eternally, right? When we received him, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, grace through faith. We understand that, that eternally, that we are positioned, that we will be in heaven. But the reality is that we are not in heaven right now. And so although we've received eternal freedom, we are still on earth in the here and now. And there is day-to-day freedom to be walked out. This is one of the core and main reasons he sent us the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to stay free in the here and now. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is just a little bit of a recipe, okay? We're in the Christmas season. People are cooking. People are baking. And I'm not going to give you some 12-step recipe. None of us would ever get that right. But I want to present to you a three-step recipe for walking empowered in the Holy Spirit to walk in greater and greater freedom in the day-to-day in your life. And that's this. When we apply Holy Spirit power with God's word joined with accountability, we will find ourselves on the path to winning more in life and losing less. We will find ourselves on the path to greater and greater freedom and less and less bondage. Folks, forgiveness and freedom are two words that are always stirring. They're always at the forefront. They're such foundational words to our faith. We're always processing these two words. They're so significant to us in our walk with the Lord. And man, does Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of us desire for us to walk in freedom? But then there's this reality, and it's this ugly reality of humanity that's inside of us. And yes, we've been born again, and we will eternally be with the Lord, but we find ourselves on earth right now. And there is a real fresh that is all, uh, a real flesh that is always game. He's always ready for battle. And the flesh loves to partner with the enemy who's always ready to partner. And he's a great schemer. And we know those things. So it's this flesh working with the, with the power of the enemy. And it's working against the spirit that's inside of us leading into truth. And we find ourselves so many times at a crossword of crossroads of, man, can I say yes or can I say no? Can I obey Can I follow through here? Can I be faithful here? Can I be faithful in this situation? Can I walk with character and integrity in this situation? I don't know about you guys, but like, this is like all the time, right? It's like almost every minute, like we're just, this is is the process 
of walking with the Lord. But he's saying, I, I have freedom for you. And so we understand Holy Spirit inside of us. We understand this dunamis power that nothing is impossible with this power that's inside of us. That first component of this recipe, I think we understand the second component of the recipe of God's word, that his word, his truth dispels the lies of the enemy. It sets our trajectory. It gives us the vision and the values of our life. But the third component is just as equally as important. It's just as equally as important. Remember, this is a recipe. We're baking a cake. If you leave a component out of the recipe, what happens to the cake? It ain't good, right? It is not good. All three of the components have to be working together. And the third one is accountability. And you say, what accountability? What are you talking about accountability? The gospel message is meant to be lived out in community. It's meant to be lived out in fellowship. It's meant to be lived out with each other. Brothers, sisters, moms, dads, friends, mentors. It's meant to be lived out together in unity. And part of that living out is accountability. We need the affirmation. We need the encouragement. We need the boundaries. We need the counsel. We need the correction of those who are around us. Isolated Christianity is never the path to the greatest freedom and the greatest victory. It's just not a reality. It can't happen. All three components have to be working. They all have to be working. And so I stand in front of you this morning. I stand in front of you as one of you, all of us as humanity. And I have struggles. I have difficulties. I have vices. I have iniquity, sin struggles, whatever you want to call them. Whatever name you want to get through them, I am right there in the boat with you. Someone who is daily saying, God, greater freedom in my life. Here is this issue in my life, and it varies from person to person. So many different issues, but you know what yours are. And I'm telling you here this morning, from the Holy Spirit speaking it to me this past week, that there is the gift of greater freedom for you this morning and for you in the day-to-day of walking out freedom in your life. Is anyone interested in greater freedom in your life? Man, I value it so much, walking in greater and greater freedom. Fill in the blank in what the area is. Again, you know where your areas of struggle, of temptation, of failure are. And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this, God's grace, his power is sufficient for every single one of those areas. If you find yourself in a dark place, if you find yourself in bondage, if you find yourself in a tunnel and you don't see a light at the end, or maybe the light at the end feels like a train that just keeps running over you and running over you and running over you, can I tell you this? You're normal. You're normal. That's humanity. That is humanity. But here's the greater reality. God's truth, the power of the Holy Spirit, the freedom therein trumps our humanity because we've been born again. Amen? We have access to the greatest power on earth where the Lord just told us nothing is impossible. Would you stand to your feet with me? And even those who are at home, again, thank you for joining in. But I felt just even prophetically and so strongly these two words of forgiveness and freedom. And I know many times Christmas messages, it's just a pastor, you know, trying to put a big red bow on the end of a year and the Christmas season. And here's the reality. 
forgiveness and freedom, just because it's Christmas doesn't mean those things stop, right? In fact, they're even brought more to the forefront. And so what I would like this morning is I would like for you to just hold out your hands and close your eyes, just in a position to receive. Even you who are at home, just hold out your hands, close your eyes. And I just want to pray for you because there's such hope. There's such hope. No matter how grim or how dark or how difficult that area of your life is in forgiveness or freedom, there's hope. We are all normal. We're all working through it together. There's nothing different about you than anyone else. And so this morning, Father God, we look unto you. We look unto your truth. And I pray this morning that your truth would manifest itself in everyone's lives here and online in a way greater than it's ever done before that every lie that is being believed or considered would be triumphed over by your truth, God. Lord, I pray for the areas of forgiveness in people's lives. I know even now there's people's names or faces that are coming in into our minds that's like, man, I need to reach out to that person. I need to cross that bridge of forgiveness. God, will you give us all the grace to send away and the grace to let it go? Will you empower us all here to have the conversation to release the forgiveness that we have been given in our own lives? Empower us all. May we not circle that mountain, God. Deepen the power of forgiveness in that truth inside of every one of us and freedom, God. We can find ourselves in so many different seasons of life in bondage, to this, that, and the other, God. Some are so significant. Some seem insignificant, God, but freedom is always a priority with you. And so, Lord, I just pray a download of greater freedom over every single person here, God. They know their struggle. They know their issue. They know their battle. And I pray in that place of battle, they would be strengthened. I pray that they would be encouraged. And I pray that they would be victorious in their life like never before, God. I pray that they, in this Christmas season, God, that it would be a stones of remembrance time, Lord, where they would look back in this time and say, this was the, the, the point that changed me. This was the point where everything began to change, where forgiveness and freedom was deposited inside of me, and it was different. It was different. Holy Spirit, inside of us, empower us to walk out freedom and forgiveness like we never have. And God, I ask that this would not just be verbiage but by some preacher on a stage here. I pray that this would be revelation in our hearts to walk out these truths in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, with our friends, God. Holy Spirit, please empower every person here and give them hope. Give them hope and encouragement along the way. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen.